this morning. Hey, I'm excited about this afternoon. I want to invite you, everyone, to come out to the churchwide picnic and baptism bash. If you haven't signed up to get baptized, you can still get baptized. There is nothing like seeing people go through with that commandment of Jesus. The Bible says if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, and so when we're dipping some under the water, it's showing that that old man, the fleshly man, the spiritually dead person is dead, and then we pull him out of the water, say, raised to walk in the newness of life. The new has come. It is so exciting to see. Plus, it's just fun to eat fried chicken together play some frisbee, play some soccer. So just come on out with this, uh, change your plans. It will be fun for us to be together. And women, you're going to have a great time next weekend. Uh, pray for us men as we have the kids. We need help. And it will be a great time. We're in the book of Revelation. We're continuing on with our series in Revelation chapter 4. I'm reminded of a story I heard of a young pastor He was trying to fulfill his duties of his new pastorship, trying to show how committed he was to his congregation. And on Saturday afternoon, he goes to visit one of the new members of his church. He goes and knocks at the door, and he's a little frustrated because he hears someone in the house, but he continues to knock, and no one comes and opens the door. So he decides to give them a little religious chiding. And he leaves a card and says, hey, I came to visit, but you didn't answer. Brother Paul, he puts on it Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. (laughs) If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and commune with him. He's thinking, I got him. Next day, Sunday morning, he's in the church, small church, so he actually takes up the offering. He's counting it after the service. He's fascinated to received the card he put on that door of that church member's house. He looks at it and he says, yeah, that's the card I gave. And on the bottom, he sees a little note. I'm so sorry, I missed you, Pastor Paul. With the verse, Genesis 3, 8 through 10. Now, he remembered that was from the story of Adam and Eve, but he didn't know what the actual verse was. And so he looks it up. And it says this, I heard your voice out in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself from you. I, uh, I, I think this is a cute story, but it is something that, that we can tend to do in the churches. We superimpose verses on current events. And so no book has probably had that done more to it than the book of Revelation. Let me just say, growing up as a Christian, I have heard more people be accused of the Antichrist than than any other character in the Bible. I, I think I could probably name a time where I've heard someone on TV accuse every single American president of being the Antichrist. Every leader of Russia, Mikhail Gorbachev, you know, He had a mark on his head. And, you know, Putin. I've heard people accusing Prince Charles of being the Antichrist. People, if you look up theories of the Antichrist, people accused Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was the governor of being 
the Antichrist. My, my, my favorite, there he is right there. My favorite, though, is what we found this week. Guys, none other than David Hasselhoff. <laughs> Knight Rider and Baywatch must be the Antichrist. It's actually there, and you know the internet doesn't lie. The, the, the focus of this series is not to give some end time predictions or to say certainly what's happening in the Middle East right now or what's happening in our nation right now is the end times. Jesus was very clear. He said, it's not for you to know the times or dates. No one knows the hour. The point of this series is for us to look full in the face of Jesus. The Bible says in Revelation 1, the revelation of Jesus. And we want through this series to fall madly in love with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We believe that the Bible is true when it says if God is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. And we hope through this study of the book of Revelation, and it's a summary study because we're not going to be able to go chapter by chapter through all of the chapters, but our desire is that you would not only understand how beautiful Jesus is, but that you would also understand how wonderful his heart is for those who follow him. So let's dive into Revelation chapter 4 and look at this chapter right now. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne, and round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle, and the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, and is, and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. and even when I watch this depiction of it, the only thing I can do is go, oh. I mean, when we see splendor, when we see majesty, it's beyond our words. And so my sermon entitled, my sermon title for today is 
the O's of heaven. Can you say, oh. You know, I love watching people watch a great fireworks show. I actually like watching the people because they end up just going, oh, oh, ah. You know, there's some beauty that's just beyond human words. And so we're going to talk about the three O's of heaven. And it's not going to hurt that all three of my points today start with an O as well. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. You know, we start with the understanding when we get to Revelation 4. This is the vision that the Apostle John saw. Once again, he's exiled on to the Isle of Patmos. They had tried to kill him. They weren't able to, so now they've sent him off. He's by himself. He's imprisoned on a deserted island, and then Jesus comes to him, and he is seeing a vision. He's received these letters to the churches, these messages to speak to these seven churches of Turkey, and now he's saying, after this, after the letters to the churches, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. What does an open door in heaven mean? I believe there's three primary purposes or significance of this door open in heaven, and I want to I address three different groups that are in this room every time we gather. The first is the seekers in the room. We're blessed as a church to always have people that are coming in who are exploring the claims of Jesus. They would probably not call themselves Christians yet, but they're saying, I want to know more about a relationship with God. Let me just address you for a moment. You're our honored guest. We are so glad you're here. Here's what a door open in heaven means to us. It means that you have access to God. I mean, it's a profound thought that a human being can know the transcendent, eternal God. If you look at the Bible, the whole Bible is a story about God's pursuit of humanity, his provision for humanity, his desire to draw near. God is holy. God is transcendent. God is other. We see in the book of Exodus the people of Israel being marched out of their oppressive situation, and then God speaks to the leader of the Israelites, Moses, and says, set up a tabernacle, a place for people to come and seek me, a place for people to meet me, and they could see the presence of God hovering over this earthly tent. I've brought for you a sketch of the tabernacle today so that you could see what it would look like for these three million Israelites. They built it It was a temporary setting because the Israelites were always moving. There were poles around a large grounds, and that was the outer courts. Then you would go in through these gates in the front, have a little pointer this morning. You'd go through, and here was an altar of burning fire. Then coming closer, you would come to a laver or a sea, a place of washing, and then inside was the actual tent of meeting. This is where God's glory dwelled. And you can see right here a little symbol of his glory coming down, this this pillar right here. This is where the people could go and meet with God. Now the problem was this, God is transcendent and he is holy, we are unholy. All have sinned. The Bible says that all have sinned and are separated from the glory of God. 
Now the punishment of sin we know from scripture is death. The wages of sin is death. And that is why there was a sacrificial system. A pure and spotless unblemished lamb would be killed and its blood would be shed to show the punishment for sin. And therefore priests were always sacrificing the sheep in order to go into the tent with a blood sacrifice. This is what the book of Hebrews in chapter 9 says. It says this, now these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle. I showed you that tabernacle, there was an outer part of the tabernacle performing the divine worship. But into the second, only the high priest enters once a year and not without taking blood. So he had to have a blood sacrifice, which he offers for himself and the sins of the people. Now, let's go into, let me show you this next diagram of the tabernacle. I want you to stick with me because this is going to help you understand how significant the throne room in heaven is. Here is the gate in, here's the brazen altar, here is the labor where they wash themselves. Then they walked into this outer part of the tabernacle. The altar of incense was there, the golden candlestick, the table of shoebread. But then there is a veil. And this veil separated the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was and the presence of God rested above this. Now, only one time a year through a blood sacrifice could the high priest enter this holy of holies. And in fact, it was so holy that they tied a rope around his leg with bells on it so if he sinned while he was in the holy of holies and fell dead, they could pull him out. They'd hear the bell on his little tassel stop ringing and go, oh, just lost Levi, let's pull him out. They'd pull him out because, why? Because sinful human beings cannot live in the presence of a holy God. There was a thick veil separating that. Now here is the amazing thing, men and women. When Jesus died on the cross, he was the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Lambs had to be sacrificed over and over and over again, year after year, for the high priest to enter into the Holy of Holies. When Jesus died, the Bible says that this veil was ripped, not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom. A total impossibility only done by the hands of God. It left the holy of holies open to all mankind. There is a door open in heaven. Now you've got to understand that the tabernacle was only a temporal, symbolic representation of the throne room. You're going to see all of these temporal symbols fulfilled in heaven. Now, I know this is a little heady, but stick with me. When this veil was ripped, there became an open access, not just for the high priest, but for you, every common, ordinary person, to enter into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus. Because he is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Here's the great news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Man can go into the most holy presence of God because the veil is ripped. There is a door in heaven. You can know Jesus Christ as your best friend and have relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's great news. Now, secondly, I want to address another group, and that is the young believers in this room. And I don't just mean young in age. Every week we have numerous people coming to Jesus here, making a relationship with him, starting that friendship. 
They can be high schoolers, they can be junior hires, they can be kids, you're gonna see kids get baptized today, but they could be 60, 70, 80 years old. It doesn't matter what age you are, you can come to Jesus, and when you first come to Jesus, you are a young believer. And you are trying to understand how does my faith in Christ affect my everyday life. Let me address you for a minute from a scripture in Hebrews. Also, chapter 4, verse 16, it says this, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Reading on. In Revelation 4, it says this, In a voice I first heard speaking to me, like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after that. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. The living God is inviting John to come up and stand before a throne. Do you know that that's not just for John, it's for you. Jesus is inviting you today to come and stand before his throne. And the book of Hebrews says that you can approach the throne with confidence in your time of need. Jesus wants to be the one you look to in your time of need. This book was written in a time where Christians found themselves in severe need, in dire need. It was a time of persecution. The Roman Empire was crushing the Christians, the followers of Jesus. They were persecuting them. They were throwing them in prison. They were beating them. They were confiscating their property. They were even killing them. This was a time of need. And so John is seeing that Jesus is saying, come and stand before me, my people, and you can have access to me. I was talking to Vitalier, Pastor Vitalier in Moldova. You heard that we're sending a team to Moldova. Some of you heard him share his story at World Mandate where he talked about being a persecutor of the church. He actually went with his father to the church where his mother had come to Christ in order to kill the pastor and burn down the church. This is not a good dude. And in church, the presence of God falls on him and his father, and next thing he knows, he's standing in the front like a blubbering idiot, crying and giving his life to Jesus. And a few years later, he'd be a pastor leading numerous churches. I have the privilege of mentoring him right now, and I, I want to say I learn as much from him as he ever does from me as I hear about what God's doing in this country that's in severe need. Moldova right now is in a time of economic crisis. Most of the young people are leaving a huge portion of the Russian army has just come and occupied the country. They're thinking that they're about to take over. And he's talking about the struggles of living in Moldova. But in the midst of that, he says, but Jesus makes me strong. You know, it's in our times of need that we find Jesus to be strong. And he says, ultimately, my hope is heaven. Wow, what a different perspective when he's living in much the same time that the New Testament church was living in. Well, maybe that's not your situation today. Maybe you don't find yourself persecuted. Maybe we will in the future, but maybe that's not what you find today. We're not in a time of tremendous economic crisis as a whole country. Food is accessible. People can still find jobs, but perhaps you have a dire need in your life. Perhaps it's a relational need. Perhaps you find your marriage on the rocks. Perhaps your family is broken. Maybe you're in a financial crisis. Maybe you have a health crisis. Maybe you're battling with despair or depression. I want to tell you 
that the throne of grace is open for your time of need. Jesus is inviting you to come and stand before him and to cry out for mercy. And he says, you will find it. And that's great news. That's the significance of the open door in heaven. Lastly, let me address the mature believers in this room. John says this, at once I was in the spirit. You know, this is something that's not talked about a lot in our churches. But as you study scripture, you will continually find these experiences had by Daniel or Isaiah, where he sees the Lord high and lifted up, or the disciples when Jesus takes them on the Mount of Transfiguration and before their very eyes, he's glowing white. Perhaps you're thinking, well, that's just for the special people. How about Cornelius, a a, a soldier who all of a sudden has this tremendous vision? The Bible is chock full of visions, of dreams, of angelic visitations, of encounters with God. And you mature believers, that's something that you should hunger for. Not just this temporal world, but the supernatural realm. What does an open door in heaven mean? It means there's an open heaven over your life. You can access the presence of God. In fact, one of the ways to do that is through the spiritual gifts that scripture says eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And it talks about miracles, tongues, prophecy, discernment of spirits. This is for the church and this is our birthright. As there's an open door in heaven for you to not just live an ordinary life, but an extraordinary life, do you hunger for more? Do you hunger for divine encounters? This is what an open door means, you mature believers. The book of Revelation should make us hunger for more of God. If it's in the Bible, I want it. That's a little scary when you start reading it. Let's move on. So the first O is an open door. That's an O of heaven. The second one is this. It's the omnipotence of Jesus. The second O is omnipotence. Say omnipotence. What does that mean? It means all-powerful. Do you know that Jesus is all-powerful? Let's keep reading in Scripture. It says this, at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. There's a throne. We are not too familiar with thrones in our country. You know, omnipotence means all powerful. And we're not too familiar with people who have all power, but that is the power vested in a king. What they say goes. If they declare it, then it happens. If they say build it, then it's built. If they say a person lives, the person lives. If they say a person dies, that person dies. So concerned were our forefathers, so untrusting that a person, a human, could have this kind of authority without being corrupted, that they set up a form of government that no one could have omnipotence. They set up a democracy. I'm very thankful for that. However, do you know that the universe is not ruled by a democracy? Whether you like it or not, there is an omnipotent one. His name is Jesus Christ. 
And he doesn't just rule one nation. I was thinking about the nation of Thailand. As we went into Thailand, we're currently planting all people's Bangkok, and God is doing good things. Our life group there is thriving. There is a king who has reigned for 68 years in Thailand. They call him Rama the Ninth. He's been reigning. There he is right there on his throne for 68 years. He's a good king in, in this country. Every store you go into, every restaurant you go into, any place of business, his picture is prominently displayed. Every time you drive into a new city, there's a massive billboard, there's a shrine, all the parks are named after him. You cannot go anywhere in the kingdom of Thailand without being reminded that there is a sovereign king. Do you know that there is a sovereign king over your life? Do you know that the center of the universe is not you? I'm serious. The center of the universe is a throne, and on that throne sits the king of kings, and he is more powerful, and he is more glorious, and he is more wise than any king ruling on the earth, and he is more wise than us. I love this portion of the Lord of the Rings where these three great warriors, the, the probably the greatest man and the greatest dwarf and the greatest elf, they've been fighting these wonderful battles and been winning every time, and then they come face to face with supernatural power. I think we have that clip. I want to show you really quick. Wow, that was awesome. <laughs> footsteps of two young hobbits. Where are they? They passed this way the day before yesterday. They met someone they did not expect. Does that comfort you? Who are you? Show yourself! tingly inside to see that. You know, when, when John sees Jesus and his head and hair are white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes are like fire, it says he fell on his face, fell on his face as though dead. Do you know, if we see Jesus in his glory, you're not going to question anymore whether you believe in charismatic worship. You're gonna be on your face. Your hands will be up. You'll be speaking in any kind of language you can get out. Why? Because he is so much greater. He is so much bigger. He is transcendent. On the throne is the king of kings. But it says this, the one on the throne had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. 
What's this all about? It, It means that his flesh is not this dull human flesh anymore. It's saying that his flesh is radiating like the most precious gems. Jasper and carnelian, if you actually study them, they look blood red. And they're shining. And it's once again alluding to the blood that was shed on the cross, the scarlet thread of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, showing the ultimate sacrifice, but now it's immortalized in this precious gem. He looks like Jasper and Carnelian, but then what happens next, it says that there is a rainbow surrounding the throne. There is this rainbow. What is a rainbow? A rainbow is a promise from God. God gave to Noah that he would never destroy the earth again because of man's sin. It's the graciousness of God. But on earth, rainbows are translucent. They are a vapor. In heaven, it's an emerald. It's permanent. It's fixed. It's stationary, and it's an emerald. An emerald is green. This beautiful rainbow has a green hue. Why? Because green is the picture of new life, of restoration, of growth. The blood brings restoration. The blood of Jesus brings restoration, but we keep going from there It says this, around the throne were 24 thrones, and on those thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. This is a blow away that in the throne room of the King of kings and Lord of lords who is shining like Jasper and Carnelian, surrounded by an emerald rainbow, are people. People, like humans, like we know humans, like Bob and Joe, and Ted, and Jose, they're around the throne. God has invited these elders to partner with him. And they're seated around the throne. He's given them a place of honor in the midst of this transcendent, holy, untouchable, unapproachable God. He draws men and women near and says, come and rule and reign with And then it goes on to say this, from the throne, verse 5, I love this part, came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. One of the funnier stories of my life as I had tried to start studying very diligently scripture was I had gone home from college to my parents' home in Austin, Texas. Austin is known for its thunderstorms, for its It's electrical storms. I don't know if you've ever seen a real electrical storm. They are majestic. I'm upstairs in my parents' house, and it was the greatest electrical storm of my life. I mean, it was really like every second there was lightning. There was thunder that was shaking the house. It was rattling the windows. I could feel it revibrating in my chest. And I'm watching as the sky is just getting more and more and more and more light. And I'm looking towards the east, and then I remember, Jesus will return in the east. And the whole earth will see it, and I start thinking, what is going on? (laughs) So I call to my parents, Mom, Dad, you have to see this. But no answer. And then I yell, Heather, Hannah, my sisters, no answer. I got a little worried at that point. (laughs) 
So I start running through the house. Mom, Dad, Heather, Hannah, Mom, Dad. And then I remember the rapture. (laughs) My parents are Christians. My sisters are Christians. And they're not there anymore. I thought, certainly I'm a true believer. (laughs) So why am I the only one left behind? So I'm running through the house, no parents, no sisters. In one last ditch effort of not being left behind, I run out into the front yard. I'm running out and there are my parents and my sisters going, wow, look at this. I have never been so relieved in my life. (laughs) The rapture had not taken place. (laughs) Have you ever seen a lightning storm, a thunderstorm? captures something, it awakens something deep within us. I mean, it's the reason why we just sit and stare at fireplaces. That's why someone has made millions of dollars for all the the, the poor souls that haven't had fireplaces for years in putting a fireplace on a DVD. (laughs) And we just stare at it. There's something in us that loves to be mesmerized and our eyes love to be tantalized by glory. Before the throne, it says there's lightning going forth and there's rumblings and peals of thunder. Get ready for the ultimate laser light show, people. Before the throne, Epcot Center, eat your heart out. (laughs) It's before the throne and then it says this, In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God, or the sevenfold spirit of God. This is an allusion to Isaiah 11, 2. The spirit of God, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of power, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit. Jesus is in the center of the universe in the throne room. He's walking amidst the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is going out into all the earth. It's not only his omnipotence, it's his omnipresence. But that's not my third O, so don't write that down. (laughs) Also in front of the throne was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. That is a nightmare for many surfers in the room. A sea of glass means there's no waves. You might not be able to surf in heaven, but you can ride a chariot of fire, so that's good news. Okay, why why is that sea a sea of glass? Before the throne, remember the throne room is the actual presence of God. It's the actual place where he resides. The tabernacle was just a symbolic representation. Remember the the laver or the sea that was before? If you can put that diagram back up, it was before that tent where his presence dwelled, where the priests had to go and they had to wash their hands because they were unclean. So they did a ceremonial washing in the laver or the sea. Why is the sea of glass now? Growing up a water skier, one of our desires was to be on a glassy lake. We would get up when we'd say the, the water is like glass right now because your ski would just cut right through it. It was like skiing on glass, a perfect reflection with no disruptions. Why is the sea like a sea of glass? Because there's no more need to wash yourself any longer. Jesus has paid for sins once and for all. Those priests no longer need to wash their hands in that sea. They are clean. They're wearing white robes because what Jesus did for them on the cross. There's a sea of glass as clear as crystal. And then it says this, in the center around the throne were four living creatures. 
science fiction, eat your heart out, and they recovered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle, a lion, symbolizing strength, symbolizing authority. An ox, symbolizing diligence, symbolizing labor. A face like a man, symbolizing wisdom, and an eagle, symbolizing swiftness and perspective, and they have these eyes all over them. And it's really cool if you cannot get freaked out. Because why do they have all these eyes? Because there's no more fitting response when you're in the presence of the most beautiful being in the universe than to just gaze upon him. And two eyes just ain't enough, folks. So these creatures are just gazing with all these eyes all over themselves, feasting on the beauty of God. And they're known as seraphim, which means burning ones. So as they take in his beauty, they become like fire. When you gaze upon the beauty of Jesus, a fire will be put in your heart. I want to tell you, if you don't feel on fire for Jesus, then get alone with him and just gaze upon the majesty and splendor of his being, and God will impart a fire into your very soul. The disciples said when they were walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, weren't our hearts burning? He wants you to burn for him. So these four living creatures, they have eyes, and they are the burning ones, because they're just flying around saying, holy, 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 listen to what they say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And it says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders do this. Boom, they fall down before him who sits on the throne and worships him and li who lives forever and ever and they lay their crowns down before the throne. You see, God has given them crowns for their righteous works upon the earth. Oh, they were saved by grace. There was nothing they could do to get saved, but for the one who's victorious, the Bible says that God will give them a crown. Can you imagine getting a crown in heaven? So they have these crowns, but then they see Jesus, the crown one, and they're like, whoa, we're not worthy. Whew. Wow. And they're on their face. And I think what they do is when they get up, and they go, oh, i got to just have one more look. <laughs> and they're on their face again for another 10,000 years. <laughs> and then finally they get enough strength to look up, and they go, <laughs> and they fall down again. Why? Because he is holy, and he is beauty. And they say this, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Have you ever been in a classroom or on a team or in a, a business place where people are just jockeying for position? You know, they're like, you know, I'm bad. You know, like, I'm the one here. I'm cool, or, you know, I deserve to be the leader. Growing up, my grandfather owned a car dealership. I don't know if you've ever been around a car salesman before. I can make fun of him, because I was one at one time. <laughs> Stop laughing. Uh, 
And, and, and uh, the car salesmen at times can kind of act like roosters, you know, kind of like walking around and, uh, you know, kind of, hey, you know, I'm the bad guy here and this is my place and this is my turf and step back and get off and I'm awesome. And the interesting thing for me was I'd watch them jockeying for position, but then whenever my grandfather stepped in, and, and he wasn't loud or braggadocious, he was a very humble and very kind man, but every time he walked into a room, everyone would just fall into place. All the bragging would stop. All the jockeying for position would cease. Why? Because the rightful owner had walked into the room. You know, in this world, there's all kind of jockeying for position. There's people trying to usurp authority and people trying to belittle others and be condescending. But I want to tell you, when the rightful king is on his throne and when he enters into the room, it puts all other people in their places. And when Jesus is seen for who he really is, there's no room for boasting. There's no room for, for saying I'm the best or I'm the baddest. There's only room for one thing, <laughs> falling on our face in worship, taking our crowns, taking this little we have and saying you're worthy. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Do you know that this whole universe is about Jesus? I mean, when you read the book of Revelation, if there's one thing you get is you get it's all about him. The center of the universe is a throne, and on that throne sits the most beautiful and most powerful being who lives in unapproachable light, and yet he draws us near to himself and wants to have relationship with us, but when we truly see him, we get put in our place and say, thank you for inviting me. It's all about you. You're the king. You're the Lord. So I don't know how you came in today, brother and sister. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I do know this. When you see him, it puts all of life into perspective. The things that you were afraid of, you're like, you know what? My king, he's got lightning in his hands. You think your dog is bad? Those angels before the throne, wow. You think your job is important? How about ruling and reigning the universe? How about provision? He owns everything. He can answer your problems. Is Jesus on the throne of your life? I know that Jesus has moved off a little of the throne of my life when I am living in anxiety. I know that Jesus doesn't have first place on the throne of my life when I am living in fear. I know that Jesus is not central when I am jealous of someone else. Let me just ask you as we finish our time, is Jesus on the throne in your life? Now, he's on the throne in the center of the universe, whether you like it or not. But have you let him be on the throne of your life, men and women? Let me stand up. Would you just pray with me now? Close your eyes. Lord Jesus, we want to put you on the throne 
of our hearts because you're already on the throne of the universe. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you're one of those seekers in this room today and you say, I want to know him, I want to walk out of here knowing that I've met God, that I'm going to heaven, that my sins are forgiven, I don't want to question anymore if I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I don't want to question anymore whether I have a real relationship with Jesus. You can nail that down by confessing with your mouth that he is Lord. If you need to do that, just pray with me right now. If you want to make sure that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, just pray with me right now. Just say this after me. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead. And I'll follow you forever. And while everyone has their eyes closed, I just want to pray for you if that's you today. I'm not going to point you out, but I do want to pray for you. If that's just you and you're saying, I'm making Jesus my Lord and Savior. I don't know about yesterday, but today I'm giving him my life. Will you just look up at me and wave? I'm not going to point you out. I just want to pray for you. Just look at me. Thanks. Who else? Just wave at me. It's all over this room. Just wave at me so I can see you. Anyone else? Just wave at me. Great. Who else? Just wave at me so I can see you. Look up and wave at me. Awesome, Lord. We pray the ones making this decision today, fill them with your spirit. Let them know that you've removed their sins from them. Prayer team, if you come up right now, whatever your need is, we want to pray for you in this last minute or two. As Stephen leads us in one last song, you come forward, whether it's physical healing, whether it's a relational problem, an emotional problem, if you're giving your life to Jesus, we want to hand you one of these books that talks about his love. You just come now as we just have a couple minutes to spare. You come now as we sing this last song to receive prayer in your time of need.